You are now listening to First Things First, a built-in Buffalo podcast with your host, DM3. I am your guy, DM3, and I am not joined by A. Rich because he's in Vegas partying up. So I am very fortunate enough to have a really good friend of mine. You guys know him from the Air Raid Hour on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel, Mr. Dave Tilton, also known on the Twitterverse at Tilt Money. Dave, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, it's funny. Uh, it's nice to take a little bit of a break from draft talk. I'm not going to lie. Because I've been, you don't even want to know the amount of spreadsheets and books and crap I have right now on the draft. So to kind of take a little breather from that for a bit and all the mock draft mania that's going on right now is uh, is nice. So um, this, this is nice, man. And I appreciate you inviting me on here because um, I always joke around with Steve that uh, no one ever wants me to be a guest. I guess I'm boring. So <laughs> so. You're, you're ask, they're asking the wrong people, man. Um, it's funny you say that because um, I was looking at the SIS handbook and last night and I was laying yeah. in bed and I was like, my eyes were getting crossed. I'm like, I can't do this. And then me and you were talking about doing a show and we're like, yes, let's do mocks and this and that. And then I like the next I, day I, I was like, I, I was like, I we can't we let's do something else everybody's doing mocks and that's okay like that's all right and we'll still see a ton more mocks the next two weeks but it's like let's just break the monotony the monotony 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 and let's go in another direction and I think this is a good topic because not a lot of people have brought this up yet and I think this is something offseason is going to heat up as we go along so we're going to talk about players, as you guys saw um, in the title, that we think are set to break out, and then we have some players that we think need to break out, and then I got a couple uh, oddballs in here um, for Dave that he doesn't know about. I'm going to give him a couple couple surprise couple surprise guys. I want to get his takes on. It's the uh, it's the Dave hour. We'll just we'll just call it that. So um, first things first, let's get a couple bill, some bills news out of the way. If I can find my graphic, there we go. <music> All right, so this week in Buffalo, not a ton is going on. I do not want to talk about the stuff going on with the stadium because I think that that has been already addressed, and I don't want to start a huge debate in the group chat about all that stuff. So if you're okay with that, I'm going to pass over that subject completely because I don't think anything's been settled. We had this and then this, and then now this is happening. So um, we did have Trey Adams retire. I'm going to get your initial uh, thoughts on, on that because this is a young guy who was – Highly touted the year before he actually came out in the draft, and he was going to be a high, a high draft pick. And then some injuries happened. The Bills picked him up as an unrestricted, undrafted free agent, um, and then wasn't able to see much playing time last year. And then I'm not quite sure. I didn't read into all of the specifics on his decision to retire. I, from what I've heard, it's it's basically injury. Um, related. So what's, what's your thoughts on that? And what does this change as far as perspective? I know we, we said we weren't going to talk about the draft, but what is this? Does this change any perspective on what's happening in the draft? You think? Not for me, it doesn't. And the reason I say that is because of the investment that was made in Trey Adams. Um, while he, you know, was at one point in time, highly regarded, we can't discount the injuries. And the fact of the matter is he was a UDFA. They didn't spend draft capital on him. 
we did bring Daryl Williams back into the fold. Obviously, we are still missing that swing tackle. Um, but in my mind and in my belief, we were not, or at least I was not expecting all of a sudden Trey Adams to come in and be the the swing tackle that makes the roster this year. Like that was not my my belief. I thought he was likely to be a be on the practice squad again this year if he was still going to be on the team. So I was probably one of the one in the camp that didn't really have much in the way of expectations for Trey Adams this year. So, so from the football standpoint, that's kind of where I came out on it uh, with him doesn't affect at all what I think the bills should have done or will do in the draft. I don't think they should have passed on. Like I don't think they should pass on a tackle or would have passed on a tackle or something like that, just because he was kind of sitting there at the bottom of the roster. That's on the football side. On the personal side, I kind of I mentioned this to Steve as well. Uh, is we've seen this a few t- with a few more guys now recently, right? Uh, Borland from the Niners, and you know Shazier, although he was injured, he's likely going to be he's never going to play football again. Other guys that have kind of hung it up early for various reasons, and whether it was for injury or for wa- not wanting to get injured or not taking the risk of getting injured. Um, it, it's becoming a bit more common and, it, and I also think it's becoming a bit more accepted if that makes sense, um, from like okay. a football, um, mentality standpoint in years ago, like you would have, you know, people would have been called soft and like all this stuff, most likely if they were to kind of retire or quit on the team. But in today's day and age, this is, this has become a lot more acceptable and, um, and honestly, for the right reasons, right? Because we know about what CTE has done. And although this wasn't related to that, um, I, I don't, I'm never going to question a guy's reason for why he wants to retire. It's something to do with his body or, or, or his future. So I have nothing but, um, I have nothing but like best wishes for Trey Adams in in his retirement. And like, it would have been great if he would have amounted to something for this team but you know again we didn't put a huge investment in him so at the end of the day i wish him well and uh really no harm no foul with him yeah it, it is a it is a tough situation because of where he was his draft stock when he was playing at a high level and then injuries happened it mm-hmm. obviously led him to not even being drafted um and the bill scooped him up and a lot of people i think were had really positive you know, ideas for what he could be. He just never was able to stay healthy. And like you said, I think we'll see more and more of this too, especially with the, the, the weird COVID stuff that's going on. Like people are starting to take their health as like a top priority. Um, We've seen all the stuff with CTE come out recently when players after they retire, you know, all kinds of stuff happens. So, I mean, I mean, you got to give the guy props for that. Like he wants to probably live a long, healthy life and you can't knock him. You can't knock him for that at all. So, all right, let's move on. I'm going to hit the comment section real quick because I think YouTube's being really weird. It just went from 5 to 23 to 13 to 5 to 23. It's being kind of goofy. So I'm going to take some comments here. Uh, Daniel Galleries, who I know is a fan of the Air Raid Hour and you guys, rather surprising Trey Adams retired so young. His his retirement hurts the O-line depth. But he was not going to be a starter this year, so good luck to him. Yeah, I mean, there you go, right there. All right, so next topic I wanted to talk about, and you guys already discussed it on your show, and Steve kind of 
almost had a coronary, I think. Like there was some crazy stuff going on. And that is, should the Bills pick up Tremaine Edmonds' fifth-year option? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to go off on a tirade because I already did that on – I know that the Fanatics posted it on Twitter. We posted it on Twitter. And then going through the comment section was just absolutely insane. I had to get off of those tweets because you're judging a guy – who has more career tackles by the age of 22 than anybody. Yes, he's played an extra season, but that's a benefit to him, right? I mean, for him to be able to do that, right? So he has three years under his belt where Luke Keekley, who's the next guy up on that list of tackles before the age of 22, only played two seasons. So if you give him a fifth-year option, what, what ultimately you're paying him $12.7 million to see if he can take the next step in year four and year five, right? So you spent the draft capital on him to get him – you know, in the first round, why would you not? He's, he's 22. Mm-hmm. He's 22. And I know you guys went in depth about it, but I just don't understand why people think that there's a better option right now out there. There's, I, I don't think there is. What, what do you think? What's your take on his, on his fifth year option? Yeah. I mean, 22 turning 23 in May. So he'll be 23 when the season starts. And it's crazy to think that he'll be 23 when the season starts and only going in and already going into his fourth, year um it's a no-brainer to me right uh he's had two pro bowls under his belt he had played exceptionally well his rookie season and he was injured for the early parts of 2020 so i'm not using that as an excuse really but when you think about all the things combined that factor into Edmonds as sort of a developmental player a young player not being a hundred percent physically last year at again at a at a young age, maybe that affected him mentally as well, right? Whereas he he probably I don't know his injury history going back to high school, but like this is a guy who's probably never been really been injured in his football playing days throughout college in the NFL until last year. So there's a mental hurdle that you have to clear as well. And I we talked about this during the season last year as well, is that the shoulder, especially for a guy that's going to be thumping, you know, eight to 10 times a game, trying to take down, you know, take down runners and, and tight ends like that, that is a big mental hurdle. If it would be a big mental hurdle for me. And I'm sure there's a, there's a mental aspect to it too. So you saw his play get better uh, at the tail end of the season. And so to me, all of these factors aside, like who are you going to get? That's going to be better than him. Like, it's not anyone on the current roster. I can tell you that. Right. And are you going to draft a guy high and kind of, in my mind, waste a draft pick to bring in a guy that you think might replace him when you don't really even know if um, he's really tapped into his full ceiling yet? So that to me, it's way too early to think about him being gone. Pick up the option. And the other point I made the uh, the other night was that It's not like you're giving him an extension. You're not, you know, you're not committing huge years and dollars into the future. You're just making sure that you get that team controlled fifth year. And then at the end of that, if you don't feel like he's worth it, then there's no, there's no long-term investment made. So picking up the option seems like a no brainer to me. Yeah. We're going to find out here in about two weeks because May 3rd is the deadline for Josh and for Edmonds. So, I mean, I have a sneaky feeling that um, they're Josh is going to get an extension and they're just going to pick up Edmonds fifth year. I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts on the two of those? I mean, that's a, that's a ton of money. Um, I think that they'd worry about Edmonds next year 
and I think that Josh they'll get done um, very soon. What's what's your thoughts on that? Well, it seems like based on reading the tea leaves is that we will get a Josh Allen extension. I would uh, I'll put it this way. Based on what Bean has said in reading the tea leaves, we'd be surprised if we don't get a Josh Allen extension sometime between the draft and when the season starts. So you're basically talking May to August, you know, May, June, July, four months. You have a four-month window where you're likely going to see a Josh Allen extension happen at some point during that window. Um, I don't know when it's going to happen during that window. I imagine that the bills are completely focused on the draft right now, and they're going to worry about that after the fact, knowing that they have these months ahead. But we we should expect, I think, to see a Josh Allen extension happen during the summer. And I think you're right. We'll get the fifth year option with Edmonds picked up, and but there won't be there won't be a contract on top of that this summer. I think you'll see that maybe happen either during the season or at the end of next season. Josh's contract, I fully expect to get done this summer based on what we've heard from Bean. Yeah, and I just want to, you know, forewarn Bill's Mafia not to freak out if May 3rd happens and Josh doesn't get his fifth-year option, people are going to start freaking out. That no means, well, yeah, that means one thing for me is that they're working on a long-term deal. Um, how long that is and how much money, everybody has Everybody has an opinion on that, but we'll leave that for the experts and Brandon Bean. All right, so... We wanted to do a show of something different because I've seen a lot of things posted about the 2019 draft and how it is going to affect the Bills roster this season with a lot of the players on it that at least I know that Dave and myself think are going to have an impactful year that are coming specifically from that draft. So I think we're just going to go player by player and then we'll kind of bounce each other's ideas or each other's opinions off each other. And we'll take some comments and we'll kind of see what everybody thinks in the chat. I'm having issues with YouTube guys. So bear with me. The comments aren't showing up for some reason. I can see them on my phone, but not on the screen. So I do apologize. I'm not sure what's happening. Um, but first and foremost, we can start with this guy right here. Our number one pick first round draft pick in 2019 Mr. Ed Oliver. Now, a lot can be said about Ed Oliver in 2020 and him playing out of position. And a lot of people don't want to use that as an excuse for Ed Oliver because everybody brings up Quentin Jefferson, who played out of position all season and the Bills released him, which I still think he was the guy they should have kept. But that's for another for another show. Um, I think if you got Ed Oliver playing one tech, he's completely out of position and he's not used to doing that. Not saying he can't do that, but you're not going to get what you saw the second half of 2019 when he started to come on and he was getting after the quarterback. Um, and he seemed like he was starting to, to catch up up to the NFL speed of the game. So for, for me, I, I think that putting him back in his natural position, having star back and, letting him play that three tech. I think that we're going to see a lot more out of Ed Oliver. I think we're going to start to see some of the stuff that we thought we were going to get when we drafted him as early as we did in 2019. And I think what McDermott fell in love with at his pro day um, at the combine 2019 and all, all that good stuff. So what's your thoughts on Ed Oliver and where do you think he, he takes the 2021 season? Is he taking the next step? Yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, he 
I mean, size-wise, he's not even close to being what you would want in a one-tech, and it's not his natural position anyway. So Daniel's right here. He says moving in Oliver back to his correct position should help him, and it really should, right? He's going to have Star doing the dirty work, eating up those blockers, and what is Ed Oliver really best at? And that's kind of, you know, getting into the backfield, making plays, um, letting others kind of worry about taking up blockers um, in the run game and really disrupting the quarterback. Right. And that's kind of his, his bread and butter. And the fact of the matter is, is like, I am going to use it as an excuse that he was playing out of position because he's not built to play one tech. Like that's just not, that's not, that's not what he's there for. And the same for Jefferson for that matter. I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing. And so not having star there, um, really hurt the Bills, and I really think they thought that they were going to get more potentially at the one tech from guys like a Vernon Butler that they maybe thought could play the one tech, or a guy like Harrison Phillips coming back from an injury who they thought maybe could play the one tech, and they just it nothing it never really gelled right last year in in 2020. So getting Star back is big. Um, Oliver is going to be back in his right position and honestly i think playing out of position for a year um may even help him from the football iq standpoint in the in the sense of knowing like hey i know two positions now i know what the guy next to me is responsible for maybe some of that mental game from him is going to accelerate as well knowing that like hey i played that position last year the guy next to me i know what he's supposed to do and that's going to help me be more instinctual when it comes to me getting off the ball and kind of doing what I need to do. So I think that overall he is going to break out. The one thing I will caution is that people are going to look for box score statistics when they want to kind of say like, did he break out or did he not break out? And to an extent, I think that's fair because we do need to get, you know, we do need to get more pressure and, get to the quarterback this year. And I think he's going to be one of the key components of that. We talk a lot about how the bills need an edge or we need to get more pressure and not necessarily pressure, but sacking the quarterback. And we talk about Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison a lot, but we, we need to talk about Ed Oliver in that context as well from the interior and see if he can kind of get, get back in the mix there and kind of get to the quarterback. What do you have? Like, I think he had five sacks as a rookie. Yeah. Five. Um, and a half, yep. five. So, if he can get back to that and a little more and make these sacks impactful plays in the game, like timely, we're going to be very happy kind of with what we see from him in 2021, I think. Yeah, I agree. And just a side note, like if we're going to judge, so everybody hated Star Latule in 2019, right? Everybody was hating on Star Latule because he wasn't showing up on the stat sheet and he had this gaudy contract and then everybody said, well, we missed Starla Tule in 2020. So are we judging Ed Oliver in his performance of 2020 as a one-tech or a three-tech? Because if we're judging him as a one-tech, we should probably watch if he was doing what Star does when he was playing at the position. Was he doing what he was asked to do as a one-technique? Was he, was he clogging holes? Was he, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, we shouldn't just say that he had a down season because he played out of position. Well, maybe we should look and see. And to your point, he now knows how to play that position, not saying he can do it great, but he can line up there if he needs to. And he's also there next to the guy that that's his natural position. So, so that was a great point by you. 
And I'll let you take this one from Lone Wolf. What does a breakout look like for Ed Oliver? What do you think? Honestly, I think a, I don't know that statistically I want to put a label on what a breakout for Ed Oliver looks like, but I would say that it's it's something in the neighborhood of between five and ten sacks, somewhere in that realm. And not just that from a statistical standpoint, but I want him to make I want him to have a few game changing plays uh this year. Like so if that's like a a late in the game, the Bills are up, they're trying to hold on to a lead and he makes like a, a strip sack fumble and the Bills recover. Like something like that, right? Where it like directly impacts the outcome of the game. What I refer to as hollow statistics are stuff that like bothers me when guys get like, you know, seven, eight sacks, but they, you look at what they did throughout the course of the season and they weren't like hugely impactful to the game right. in the sense that it helped the team win. Or maybe like the team was already up by like three touchdowns and they got like a sack when the team was like thrown from behind all the fourth quarter, like those hollow statistics, we need to be careful about, those so i want him to have impactful disruptive box score statistics if that makes sense i want his sacks to mean something i want his forced fumbles to mean something i want him to make plays in the backfield i want him to create pressures that make quarterbacks throw bad throws and create interceptions for the defense so a breakout to me to him is it's a little bit of a combination between qualitative and quantitative. I'd like to see the box work statistics, obviously, because that's going to drive the qualitative, but he needs to be, he needs to, uh, he needs to have the statistics in a non hollow manner, I guess is the way I'm going to put it. So if he has, if he has five sacks, like he had his rookie year, but they're all huge, important sacks, maybe that clinch games, then I would, I would consider that kind of a breakout to me. I mean, I mean, that's just me. Yeah, I think, too, that if I, I don't even care about the the sacks, I care about if is he going to help this team play run defense? Mm. Is he going to improve our run defense and be I, I I mean, it seems like since McDermott's been here and I don't want to go off too far on a tangent on this because we got a lot of guys to cover. But I, I just think that McDermott's had issues with the run defense, and I'm not sure if it's you know what I'm saying? Like, could it be? because of the rotation and now you would think that it wouldn't be because the guys are fresh but maybe guys aren't having routines trying to you know to beat their man and to learn what the the offense is doing i don't know that's it's just my opinion if i don't care if he has if he has one sack if he is helping us stuff the run and it's showing that we can stop teams from running the ball hey i'm i'm good with that and and like you said if he has one sack maybe it's Week 16, when we're we're playing for the number one overall seed and he gets the sack in the fourth quarter and we recover the fumble and go on, Josh leads us to a game-winning touchdown drive. I mean, that's that's exactly on point, 100%. So um, I've been getting some messages here saying that we are having issues, some technical issues with YouTube. So we're going to keep rolling along. YouTube can figure it out. We'll just keep trucking along. All right, next guy, Zach Moss. So it seems like everyone has an opinion on RB1, RB2. Either you're Devin Singletary or you're Zach Moss guy. Um, that still, to me, doesn't mean that Zach Moss can't have a breakout season. To me, 
Um, I know a lot of people that are saying that Singletary um, should be RB1 because the way that we changed the blocking schemes last year and he wasn't asked to do a lot of the same things that he did in 2019 when he averaged 5.1 yards a carry. Um, I was impressed with Zach Moss. He was battling turf toe in the beginning of the season. Uh, the, the Patriots game kind of pushed me to, okay, he's he's got he's got what looks to be almost a RB one can do it all back that we need. And then the, the Steelers game, when we, we were able to close out that game with, with him just running the ball. Um, what's your thoughts on Zach Moss and him being a breakout candidate? I think he has a great opportunity in front of him, right? I think the bills by bringing in Matt Breida have likely signaled that they're not going to take a running back early in the draft, or at least I'd be surprised if they did, unless something crazy happened and like a Najee Harris fell to them at 30. But besides the point, the Bills were perfectly content rolling with Devin Singletary, Zach Moss duo last year with TJ Yeldon being inactive most time, most games. So the fact of the matter is they now have three guys that are going to be in the mix, and it's going to be fascinating to watch in camp how this all shakes out. But what I will say for Zach Moss, that is something that is working in his favor is number one, he is a year younger from a contract perspective than Devin Singletary is. And number two, they only signed Matt Breida to a one-year deal and they didn't go out and they didn't spend money on an Aaron Jones or a, or a running back like that. So to me, that means what does he have? He has opportunity now in front of him to kind of take take charge of that backfield if he is so inclined and i and that honestly goes for him and it goes for for any of the other guys in this backfield but you're right the way that zach moss finished that steelers game i think is how the bills would envision a perfectly executed game plan kind of going for them in a winning situation they get up they get a lead they don't worry about running the ball necessarily early in games or often early in games, but at the end of the game, they've got their closer. They've got the guy that can pound the rock for first downs. And if that's the philosophy they want to take and they don't want to change up that sort of offensive philosophy, offensive style too much from last year, then that seems to be prime for Zach Moss to kind of take charge. I mean, what was it? The, um, I can't remember what game it was, but there was a, it might've been uh, maybe it might've been the chiefs game. I can't remember exactly what game it was. It was a game where we like, didn't even, we ran the ball like twice in the first half of a game last year. Um, and Seahawks game. Like, was it the Seahawks? Game? It, it, yeah, it might've been, it might've been that. Right. So yeah. it's like, now you have three guys in the mix. Running backs are important. I don't want to discount that a great running back can really help your team. However, they're, they, have become less important to the Bills in the style of offense they run right now. Now, that could be a factor of the fact that they didn't have the personnel that they wanted to be able to use running backs more, and that's kind of the debate we always have. It Was it personnel that dictated the way that they approached the offense, or was that their philosophy, and that's why they didn't really put so much emphasis on the running game? It's like a chicken and egg question. But Zach Moss really does have an opportunity here to take charge, and – Yes, he had the fumble in the Niners game and he got benched. But, I mean, Devin Singletary dropped that ball in the AFC Championship game. Matt Breida 
is is still an he's an, he's not an unknown, but he's a guy that has never really seized control of a starting job, been like a, a bell cow type guy. So for me, Zach Moss has every chance to kind of take the chart, take charge in this backfield. And if you listen to what he said, um, if you listen to what he said when he talked with Rico on Fanatics, he was like, "Yeah, it was like, you know, our scheme was our scheme was jacked up. Our blocking assignments weren't." always what they needed to be. We had issues as running backs, you know, like they all took blame. And so he, that, that sounds to me like a guy who as a team and as a, as a guy that's in that room, they're going to try to do some self-correcting this off season. And I think with that self-correcting, we could see him, you know, really take charge of that backfield. Yeah. And great, great points. Um, Ishmael Marino Monero coming in with the super chat. I appreciate it, man. I feel that the Bills left no glaring needs. BPA all day. If the running back, it's a running back, then cool. Um, to your point too, like we were talking about um, the Zach Moss fumble. Like Matt Breida, I believe lost carries with the Dolphins last year because he had fumble issues in the beginning of the season. So I think Zach Moss might be the most sure-handed back that we have. Um, I I like both Motor and Moss. I like both guys, and I feel like to your point. The offensive line had no continuity all season. Like we'd have, we had Cody Ford. He got injured. We put Ike Bacher in there. Then we had Feliciano. Then there's times when you saw Winters in there. It's like, what, what are we, what are we doing on the offensive line? No, there's no reason you, there, there, nobody's, I mean, you can't establish a ground game when you have these makeshift parts all over besides your tackles in your center. Like it's just crazy. Hopefully, like you said, Brian Dable will design up some plays because it, seemingly worked to a to a point in 2019 i just don't think we had the best backs we had singletary as a rookie we have frank gore so we'll see but yeah and and i definitely too um talking about matt breeder for a second i definitely hope that he doesn't get the tj yeldon treatment where he's inactive every week because i think he deserves to play and i think that that gives them three different style you know running backs you can either start the game with with moss or with motor or brita you can have moss finish out games you can i mean brita is great in the, the pass game i mean it'll be interesting to see how they go um i definitely don't think that they're taking a running back in the draft unless something it's late day three somebody's hanging out there that shouldn't be there and they just take a flyer on a guy because to be honest with you i think after like the first three or four picks the later rounds are going to be fighting just to make practice squad spots that's how deep this mm-hmm. roster is so, all right, we're going to move on to our next guy. Uh, and that's the guy who was drafted just ahead, one round ahead of Zach Moss last year, and that's A.J. Epinesa. So I really liked A.J. Epinesa coming out of Iowa last year. Like, I was high on him, and I was surprised that he wasn't taken way before 54. He should have been – I think he should have been gone. Um, but then once we hit training camp, I was – concerned that he was too light. I know the bills had asked him to do some adjustments with his weight so he can be a little bit quicker. Um, but I feel like he lost a little bit of, of power doing that. Um, I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but I also think too, that McDermott's weird with his defensive rookies. They have to earn the snaps, obviously, except at Oliver, he played more and more as the season progressed. Um, McDermott's just kind of weird with his rookies on defense. Like he makes them, and I don't know what they do during practice, but he kind of makes them earn everything. And I thought towards the end of the season that Epinesa showed some flashes. Um, that was a very positive. He almost had, 
you know, a sack in the AFC championship game. He barely missed um, Patrick Mahomes. So what's your thoughts on AJ Epinesa? Cause he was one that you listed that you wanted to talk about. What's your, what's your thoughts on him? It's funny because Steve and I did like a mock off season, an entire mock off season last year before the draft. And in my mock off season, after I did all the free agents and we did the draft, I actually had the bills drafting AJ Epinesa in the first round. This was before they even traded for Stefan Diggs. So what was it? Pick 22 or 23, something like that. They had, I was like, they're going to, they're going to take AJ Epinesa there. And it's funny because my tune kind of changed over the course of leading up to that draft. And when we got to pick 54 right there, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I wanted the bills to pick JK Dobbins. I, I, I really did. Um, and he went one pick later to right. the Ravens, but I was happy with the AJ Epinesa pick. Cause I felt like it was a really safe kind of high floor type of pick for where you got him. And I do think that you're right. He did show flashes towards the end of the season. And now again, Quentin Jefferson, not on the roster, Mario Addison down year, Jerry Hughes, one year older. Like there's a spotlight on AJ Epinesa this year. He's going to need to produce. And you're right. Like McDermott makes him earn, earn that time. And similar to Dane Jackson, who I know wasn't necessarily on my breakout list, but like these two guys are going to have opportunities now to make, make some moves and make some head. Hey, on this defense this year. And I expect AJ Epinesa to be a better version of what we had in Shaq Lawson, meaning I think he can get to the quarterback more often than a guy like Shaq Lawson. I think he's got better pass rush ability than a guy like Shaq Lawson, and he can still set the edge and defend the run, especially if he brings that weight up just a little bit, not maybe necessarily all the way to like the 280 range, but like in that 270 range, 265, 270 range where the Bills kind of like that, that, um, that size on that one side, then he really could be an important factor in this defense this year. And I also think from AJ's standpoint, think about what happened on the draft. He got passed over, um, probably thought he was going to be a first round pick. Didn't go until the second round. You saw the bills embedded video where they came out and they were like, we don't know why you dropped so far. You know, you shouldn't have dropped so far. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder this year, I think. And obviously he was inactive for for many of the games early in the year, but he's going to have a chip on his shoulder this year with something to prove. And um, he comes across to me as a guy with like a little bit of a little bit of that attitude. And I expect that to translate in camp and into the season. So I'm and again, people are going to be like, what does breakout look like for him? Like he had one sack last year. If AJ Epinesa has, you know, a handful of sacks in 20, you know, in 2021, I'd be, I'd be happy if he, if he's anywhere around like five sacks and like, again, they're meaningful sacks. I think that's, that's fair. And again, you mentioned with, Al, with, Ed, with Ed Oliver, what's he going to do to help the Rundy? Same thing with AJ here, right? It's an, it's an entire unit's responsibility on that front. Like they all need to be better against the run. So needs to be good against the run needs to get more pressure on that quarterback. And, Honestly, he's probably sick of hearing uh, the Bills, like all this talk about the Bills taking an edge early in the draft. He's like, wait a minute. We, they just yeah. took what me last doing? year. <laughs> but it would be very interesting if they go three years in a row with their first pick. And I know not all first-rounders, but their first pick defensive line. It would be very line. interesting. Yeah. Um, to your point, and, and I agree with you, I think that AJ has a little bit of a nasty streak in him. 
um, some of the film that we saw in training camp, I mean, he was bullying a bunch of the offensive linemen and it was just like, it was, it looked easy to him. Um, so I, I, I hope he gets a shot because I think that Mario Edison is on the back, the back, he's on the back nine. Um, and you never, you never know when players are going to hit that, that peak. And then, you know, being gave him that contract, you never knew that he was going to plateau at the nine and a half sack guy that he was in Carolina. And then all of a sudden came here. Um, obviously, and I think our D line got a, gets a, gets a bad rap for last year. And I don't think it's, I really don't think it's fair. I mean, we can talk about pressure on the quarterback and Bean even came out and said, we got to get after the quarterback, but there was so many things that were against these guys, you know, leading into the season and throughout the season. I mean, offenses were historically better. I mean, there was no training camp. These guys were all new working together. You got all these moving parts that are oh, learning each other's roles. Yeah. Star opted out. So there was a lot of stuff that went on and, that's why I don't think we're going to draft an edge rusher. I don't think early. I think maybe day two, maybe third round, fourth round, if there's somebody there that's on their board that they really like. But I don't think, I th- I don't think first round if they stay at thirty is going to be an edge rusher. I think they're going to address that later on because, like you said, you got AJ. You're just going to slap AJ Epinesa in the face again. You know, after he just got slapped by fifty three or thirty one other teams through fifty three picks last year. And Bean's calling him saying, dude, I didn't know you were still going to be there, but you're coming to Buffalo. And then he didn't play it all last year. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's the fuel he needs. And Bean always likes to, you know, iron sharpens iron. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I got a super chat from Iron Mike. AJ will be our best defender this year, especially with the corner we get in first round. I love you, Iron Mike. Ah, uh, that's for another show. I don't want to talk about the draft. I, I really don't want to talk about the draft. I got into an argument with somebody on Twitter this morning about my draft, my cornerback rankings, and they don't agree with me because I don't just spew out stuff that PFF puts out there and just regurgitate all their information. So anyways, so we're going to move on. So I skipped a segment earlier So because we we just we were running with it. So I skipped a segment earlier. Uh Tilt Money's going to get exposed to tweet this. I, I warned him earlier, so we're going to play our little promo intro, and then we're going to talk about some tweets from this week. Spare no expenses on the promos. I swear that's Dude, the best. Those, that's the best one nice. I've ever done. That's the that's best nice. one I've ever done. <laughs> And if I you guys, mean, I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I it, yeah. some of the other ones are pretty cheesy and I do that on purpose because I like to add a little bit of cheese to the show. So if you guys haven't smashed the like button, please smash the like button. If you're watching on Facebook, share this. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, hit the bell. So you, you, you guys know when we go live. So, all right. So let's hit these tweets because a couple of these um, kind of got me I'm a little irked. I'm I got a little irked. Um, and this is just kind of like rapid fire. So we'll just kind of t- touch on it for a couple minutes. I'm going to save the best one for last, and I'll go with this can one. You up, uh, can you put up Lone Wolf's comment, though? Because it's so perfect. Uh, let me get to Hold on. Let me get to it. Let me see. Here we go. <laughs> Haven't you realized yet nobody and nobody's allowed to have an opinion? That's true. That's I mean, it's true. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it, Lone Wolf. It's perfect, man. All right. So, yeah, if you're if you're on if you follow like a lot of the big guys that are Bill's social media guys that are content creators, or they just are always on Twitter, 
Like some things are very laughable. And then you get some meatheads that are just out there that just have the worst takes. And those are the ones that gets there. They're so like, they just want to come for blood. And it's just like, dude, it's just my five cornerback rankings. Like if you don't agree with it, that's okay. Like if you like Patrick Sertain more than JC Horn, I understand it's okay. Like mm-hmm. I don't. So get over it. Move on. So anyways, all right. Here's the first one right here. So Schefter tweeted this out. It was the award by uh, the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Whoever that is, Cardinals acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins was has received the Alpha Award for the best sports transaction of the year. Tilt money. What's your thoughts on that, brother? <laughs> so Steve and I got into a little bit of a tirade on this one, and I was like, okay, well... What are what are your what are your qualifiers for best transaction of the year? Because if it has anything to do with what took place on an actual football field and what that player did for your for that team, yeah. then there is no possible way that it could be DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Stefan Diggs, obviously, we know he led the league in receptions. You know, him and Josh Allen together kind of put Josh Allen in the tier of MVP conversation. And as much as I hate to say it, like Tom Brady in Tampa Bay was a better, you know, did did they won the Super Bowl? I mean, right. So in his first year there, yeah. (laughs) The the transaction, how you're defining the best transaction to me now has to be considered. And if I'm if I'm that outlet, you might you maybe have would have wanted to qualify how you defined what made that best transaction. So if you're saying purely like monetarily or like whatever, you know, that side of it, the financial side, then I could kind of understand like you fleece bill O'Brien. Good for you. Like, congratulations. (laughs) Like if you wanted to give them that award, when the trade happened, we all could have been in agreement. Like, Hey, you made a great trade and everyone was in agreement. Hey, like, the Cardinals got a great deal with fleecing the Texans and Bill O'Brien before he got canned. So good for you Cardinals. But if you're talking about, uh, yes, exactly. They gave up less. So like from the financial side, it was a lower opportunity cost, but how do you weigh that against what the player did for you on the football field and on the football side where Stefan Diggs clearly had a more positive impact on the field than DeAndre Hopkins did in 2020. And I, to be honest with you, I don't think that can really be debated. Uh, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins had the Hale Murray, and mm-hmm. that was his one shining moment of 2020. He, the team, Their team didn't make the playoffs. And to be honest with you, I, loved, I actually like DeAndre Hopkins, but what did I talk about earlier? Hollow box score statistics. That's essentially like what game-changing moments did he have last year other than the Hale Murray? Right. Game in and game out, was he doing? Was he making game-changing plays for the Cardinals for them to win games? Clearly, not enough of them for them to make the playoffs. They were eight and eight. Meanwhile, Stephon Diggs is catching three touchdowns on Monday Night Football against the Patriots. He's tearing up the Steelers in the second half of Sunday Night Football to get the Bills into the play. Like, and he led the league in receptions. So, football-wise, Stephon Diggs and Tom Brady win transaction of the year. Financial wise, fine. Give it to DeAndre Hopkins. But in my mind, you have to consider all of these factors when giving out an award like that. But if they don't, then you got to tell us up front how you're defining this award. I agree. And too, to your point, that game, the Cardinals game, 
if the Bills knock that ball down, how many people are talking about Stefan Diggs catch with how many ever seconds there's 50, 51 seconds left or whatever. Exactly. Absolutely insane throw and catch on top of the fact that's the same game. Cole Beasley had that one handed catch. That's yep. the same game, that insane one handed catch. So I, I, I tweeted, I retweeted it and I said, one guy caught a hail Murray. One guy led the league in receptions, yards and targets and absolutely changed outcomes of games. So, all right, we're going to move on from that one. So next one up is our guy, Marv Levy. 95-year-old Marv Levy. This was sent out by Andrew Siciliano of the NFL Network. He's a national treasure, and he's in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame now as well. So to be here's my thing about Marv Levy, and this is why this is amazing to me. He he was a head coach in the NFL. Name another something that's more stressful than that. What I mean, how stressful is that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to go through ups and downs and He's nine. Marv Levy. Five. Marv, Marv Lee. If Marv Levy was in today's NFL and I'm not, you know, at the age he was when he started coaching, he might not have even made it to the point where he was able to coach those Super Bowl teams. He probably, he might've been fired. Like you, after you think so? Not, maybe not. But like uh, my point being, he, he probably wouldn't have been, I'm, you know, he, he wouldn't have been, yeah. but my point being is the, 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 the windows that, coaches are given to prove that yeah. they can win nowadays so i think is 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 much lower right like you look at guys like uh Shermer and guys like Pettin who like guys like steve wilkes for the cardinals who like, one year got one, one season <laughs> what do you what can right? you do in one year on a shit franchise so like so marv is a treasure and my goodness man to get that team motivated four years in a row like well three years in a row technically yeah. after losing that first super bowl and to get them all the way back three right. more times in a row after that first one the mental the mental strength that you have to have not on top on like on top of all the football execution and the breaks that have to go your way during the season man i cannot even imagine um the stress right like you said and yeah. i don't know that we're ever going to see I mean, the Chiefs have now made it to the Super Bowl two years in a row. They would have to make it two more years in a row just to match the Bills. Right. And that I don't know that that's something that's ever going to happen again in today's NFL, man. It's a, it's yeah, a and, rare. And, yeah, and everybody just wants to talk about the losses. But you were still good enough to win your conference every single year. That's that's insane. And my, my point was the dude's got to have like a heart made out of something special because he's 95 years old and he lived mm. through all that. And he still, I mean, I watched the interview. He he was he he killed it. I thought I thought he did a good job. So he's sharp still. He's sharp. Um, all right, on to the next one. This one comes from our guy, Marcel Louis Jacques. The Bills are running it back in 2021 with the largely the same roster, but the continued development of 2019 draft class will be a key factor in how successful Buffalo is. And that's kind of why I was going to do this before we got into our segment, but of course I got sidetracked. Um, and that's why, where I was going with like, we have so many guys from that draft, not just this past draft that we're expecting big things out of, out of from 2019. So what, what do you take from that? I mean, what, what, what do you think? Because we know what we got from the 2017 draft. We got three guys that we just re-signed within the last year in Milano Dawkins and Trey 2018. We all know we got Josh, um, we've got Tremaine Edmonds out of that draft. Um, 
and we also got Teron Johnson out of that draft, if I'm correct, 2018. So the 2019 class, I don't have the whole class in front of me. I'd have to look up specifically the later rounds. But what's your take? He's pretty spot on. I mean, we're running it back with guys that mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're trusting the process here, are we not? We are. And you think about it, other than Voshan Joseph from that class, the rest of the that class is people we talk about as like, okay, it's time for these guys to step up. Like we can go down the list. You got Singletary. I mean, we'll start Oliver, obviously, but Ford, Singletary, Knox, Jaquan Johnson, maybe now we'll have a chance to do something. Uh, you know, he already already plays special teams, but D Marlowe's not back. So is Jaquan Johnson gonna maybe get a few more defensive snaps? I always kind of liked him and Daryl Johnson uh, and Tommy Sweeney. So there is a lot of, I don't even want to use the word potential because like that word gets used too much, but there is a lot of, um, what's the word I want to use? Like there's a lot cooking in the pot right now, I guess is what, what I'll say for the 2019 class. And there are, there is a good chance that every single one of these guys can make an impact in 2021, which is kind of wild to think about. Like you look at that draft class top to bottom and you're like, wow, actually that's like, that looks like a pretty good draft class. But then you actually take a step back and realize like, well, Cody Ford really hasn't proven that he was worth trading up those two spots to get him. Dawson Knox again, is he the guy that we expect him to be? We know he was inexperienced, didn't have a ton of experience coming out of college and is it one of those things where like, well, do the bills just not use tight ends because of who they have, or is it just by design of their offense? Do we really need to make a huge investment into a top tier tight end because of the way our offense is run? Or do, would we, would we incorporate the tight end more if we had a top tier tight end? I mean, the fact of the matter is Dawson Knox gets a lot of hate, but like I was thinking about asking you this before even coming on, because we were going to talk about Dawson Knox as a breakout. Yeah. We're going to talk about it. Think about this. How many, how many elite tight ends are there in the NFL compared to elite players at other positions? There's only three elite tight ends in the NFL, in my opinion. It's George Kittle, it's Darren Waller, and it's Travis Kelsey. Like, and then it's everybody else. Right. You look around other positions, like you could probably name ten elite receivers off the top of your head, and I know there's more of them. You could probably name five elite running backs. You could probably name five to seven elite quarterbacks. Like. There are three elite tight ends in the NFL. So what is the expectation for Dawson Knox this year? Like, how are we going to get him involved? Um, the Bills brought in Hollister, but again, that wasn't like, that wasn't a Gerald Everett. That wasn't a John U. Smith. That wasn't a Hunter Henry. Right. It wasn't a Zach Ertz trade. It was Jacob Hollister. He's not really coming in to be like an alpha male tight end in that room. So is Dawson Knox still going to be the guy? And then Singletary, you've, we've already talked about him. What's going on with Tommy Sweeney? Is he going to come back from his complications? Jaquan Johnson, I mentioned. Voshan's not on the team anymore. Um, so it, it is it, it is a lot of unknown, but it, it is a lot of untapped potential contribution that we could be seeing from this class this year. I agree a thousand percent. And we'll talk about, I'm going to keep my take for Knox here in a minute because we're going to talk about Knox here in a minute. All right, last one. This one flew out this morning. And I almost accidentally scrolled past it, but then I saw that I had a ton of retweets by a bunch of people that I follow. So I posted it. Josh Allen had 21 dropped interceptions in 2020. 
Jameis Winston, 2019, is the only other quarterback who had 21 dropped interceptions in the last two years. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, had 20 in 2019. So initially, I was going to go at this guy's account because I was like, you have all day to just watch film of players almost intercepting passes. Good job. And then I was like, no, that's what he wants. He's he's probably just baiting us to to you know go to his page and look at his film. And he's got a YouTube channel. He's got a whole bunch of stuff on there. I I hate I hate the bad statistics analytics because you could do this with how many quarterbacks? Patrick Mahomes had twenty last year. Who cares? They weren't intercepted. It's like it's not a league of what if. I mean, how many dropped touchdown passes did Josh have? How many dropped passes at all did he have? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, touchdowns from yeah. I mean, I know. Like, it's why do we care about what could have happened? Like, I I just think if anything, you should make film and you should call out these DBs for dropping twenty one interceptions. Like. If they're clear cut and I watched all 21, I got to say, I watched all 21 because I'm like, all right, let me see. There was like four or five that were bad decisions by Josh, but the other mm-hmm. ones were like, you wanted to see if there was a chance for a contested catch. I get that. Or the the receiver seemingly didn't cut the route right. Or the DB just made an exceptional play on the ball, which happens in the NFL. So what's your take on this? And then, and then we'll kind of, we'll move on from, from tweet this. I, I, just totally blatantly disregarded it. I didn't watch it. I just like, you're a better not, man than me. I'm not falling into the <laughs> trap. I'm just not even going to give it the time of day. I felt uh, all quarterbacks go through that. Like however many you want to count, whatever, like it's so stupid. Um, like it, it, it's just so inconsequential to me. Yeah. Almost picks don't count as picks perfectly said uh, just like, the touchdowns that we had to Gabriel, like Gabriel Davis could have like had a team's worth of touchdowns <laughs> if he didn't have all those called back last year. Yeah. Um, so like, if you're like, my point is, is if like, if you're going to co- try to quantify something like that, wouldn't you have to quantify like all the other variables? And then you're just going down a black hole of like right. a never, a, like a never ending analytical, like, a narrative that could never that can never be like fully like tightened up and like closed right because you're just like constantly gonna have to throw in different variables to it so it just i just moved i moved right past it yeah it's like like i went i started i went on his page and i'm like after like four different clicks i'm like i feel like i'm watching youtube at like two o'clock in the morning and they just keep sending me this awesome shit that i really want to watch but i just i ended up i was i was done with it after that all right so let's move on so we, st- we talked about players that were, we thought were set to break out. Now we got players that we think need to break out, make an impact this season. Um, you kind of touched on this player, and we're, we're talking, we were just talking about this draft. So, Harrison Phillips, we need to see what you got this year. Now, I know coming back from that injury, and then last year he was kind of deep on in the rotation, and they brought in a couple, you know, DTs last year in the offseason. So, where where do you think the right fit is for Harrison Phillips on this defense? I mean, to make, to have an impact, or is he not going to be what we thought? I mean, ultimately people, I thought when they saw him after he was drafted, were like, Oh my God, it's the next Kyle Williams. Because we were so used to seeing a guy that looks like Kyle Williams plays like Kyle Williams. And then all of a sudden he was thrown in the rotation and he had, 
a season in an injury. And so what, what's your, I mean, what's your thoughts? Where do you think he fits in on this defensive line? I think actually he could be like a swing backup. If that makes sense. I think, I think he could be a swing backup at either the three or the one tech. He's, he's got decent size, right? He's 300 plus pounds. He's got decent, you know, athleticism for a guy his size he's a guy that's easy to root for that's for sure like everyone likes him everyone's rooting for him he's another year removed from that injury which this is kind of like the sweet spot i think when you know you talk to most medical or hear from most medical people it usually takes that extra year to come back from an acl and a guy his size you know that's probably something that you know maybe takes a little bit longer than it would for, for someone who's, you know, just a little bit more of like, I don't want to call it like normal size, but for me, how many, how many mock drafts have you seen with the bills taking a one tech? It's just like Harrison Phillips has to be sitting there like, Whoa, I'm still on this team. Like I still have something I need to prove, you know, him, Justin Zimmer, Vernon Butler, star at Oliver. Like they're, there is a good chance, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I want this to happen, but there is a good chance that the Bills don't draft a defensive tackle. Yeah, uh, and I, I like it, Justin Zimmer. I really like Justin Zimmer. And, and it could, it could be, it is, it, it very well could be that there's still a potential that Vernon Butler gets cut. I know we restructured him, but there's still a potential yeah. that he could get cut. I think that it's going to come down to maybe, and Pierre said this the other day, it could come down to Vernon Butler or Harrison Phillips at the end of the day to make this team. And it's going to be a fascinating competition to watch in training camp. Like it's not a flashy sort of sexy competition to think about, but like Harrison Phillips, Vernon Butler, Justin Zimmer, you know, Justin Zimmer flashed a little bit last year. Vernon Butler had some moments and he's a former first round pick. Like, it will be telling if the Bills don't draft a defensive tackle and this competition comes down to Harrison Phillips and Vernon Butler, let's say, or even Justin Zimmer, and it's a three-way competition and two of them make the team. I think Harrison Phillips is really going to... He's going to have to play like his job depend... Like he's going to have to go into camp like his job and his roster life depends on it because it really might. As much as I hate to say that, like... I want him to make the team, but his his roster spot could be in jeopardy. Yeah, and the thing too is, I think he's such a likable guy that people like to they want to root for him. But to oh, your yeah, point, to your point though, yeah, I mean, you can keep Justin Zimmer and Harrison Phillips, and they both cost less than Vernon Butler. Mm-hmm. So, yep. I mean, if that's if that's if we're if we're at the point where we're trying to figure out if we have money left over to sign guys to get up to ninety after the draft. That might that might be an option, and like you said, we may not take a DT, a one tech DT in the draft at all. So, great point. All the right, so moving thing, just really quick. I mean, the other yeah. thing is, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, I I believe this is the last year on his contract, uh, Harrison Phillips. So yeah, yeah he's a free agent I next mean, year. So that's another thing that Bills might playing be for a contract. So yep. same with Teron Johnson. So he might be getting paid next year. Yes. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, he did, I mean, two pick sixes in one season that had big impacts on, like you said, we were talking about impactful plays. Those in AFC divisional game against the Ravens. Then he had the one against the Steelers too, that both greatly impacted those games. So yeah, 
Johnson was a punching bag for a lot of people at the beginning of the season because he, I mean, he he was struggling at the beginning of the season, but he oh, yeah. turned it on and he really did make those impactful plays. And now he's everyone loves him and they want him to they want him to yeah. be here, and including me. So, we'll and see. I think I think at one point after like week four or five, he was like the lowest ranked um, corner in PFF, and he had given up like the most receptions or something like that. Like it's crazy how he turned. He turned it around. So, all right, next guy. We kind of touched on one already. Let's talk about Dawson Knox. Um, So my take on Dawson Knox is that I don't know how much more of a ceiling we're going to get from him, but I think that that's not a bad thing because, like, Mm -hmm. to your point about the elite tight ends, we went out and we grabbed Hollister, right? Last year we had Knox and Croft. I think you got just about the same thing this year. If we don't add an, a tight end either in the draft or we are completely done with Zach Ertz and that whole drama. Um, I, I think that two things. I think that first off, tight ends, a, a position that takes relatively long to develop because you're asked to do a lot of things in the pro level that you're not asked to do in college as far as blocking and other things. Um, and I, I really don't think that Brian Dable and his offense is predicated off of giving the tight end a hundred targets a year. I just don't, I I think that it's okay to have both your tight ends equal 55 touchdowns. We, he damn sure knows how to use them in the red zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, Lee Smith's catching touchdowns, you know, he's, he's finding ways to use them and maybe that's the key. Maybe it's to think that those guys are just out there as run blockers and they're running two tight end sets to throw passes to him in the red zone. I don't know. But I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, I was h- highly critical of Dawson Knox last year. I think as were a lot of Bills fans because we were sick of we were sick of the drops, right? Mm-hmm. And then as the season progressed, he started to get a little bit more sure-handed, and the Bills started to do things to I think build his confidence. They were giving him I don't want to call gimmies, but they were they were making nice plays for him to be they were putting him in positions to be successful. Um, and, and down the stretch, I thought he played well. I mean, he had two touchdowns in the postseason. I thought I thought he played well, and I think he'll still continue to progress. He's a quarterback, so he's his intelligence level is high. Um, so we got to remember that. He's a quarterback, so he's very bright. But I just don't know. Everybody wants him to be the next Gronk, like or Kittle. Like, I don't know if we're gonna get that from him. And I think that that's so I think that's okay. Like, I honestly think that's okay if if Dawson Knox is a is a 45 to 50 reception four touchdown guy if he's doing everything that they ask him to do you know what i mean what what's your take i know you you kind of talked about him earlier but what's your what's your take i mean is he have the pedigree to take it to the next level do you think that he's going to get there are you still concerned like what's your take my take is i don't know that there's enough balls to go around for him to even be a 50 catch guy Uh, i mean we we were one of the highest like frequency passing teams in the NFL last year, we ran, um, you know, how many times we come out in 10 and 11 personnel, I believe in 10 personnel, we were actually the highest percentage team in an 11 personnel. I think we had the most plays. Someone can fact check me on that, but like it was something around that. The point being is that the receivers are really the bread and butter of the passing offense here. And, I don't know who are you going to take targets away from, especially now that Emmanuel Sanders is in the mix. Um, you're going to get him the ball between Diggs, Beasley, Sanders, Gabriel Davis. Like, there's 
there's only so many passes to go around, and that was already with a high-volume passing attack last year. It wasn't like we got all these uh, these targets to receivers last year in a in a really kind of balanced, like, or even run-centric offense. No, this was like pass first, pass often, pass all the time. And Dawson Knox yeah. still only had, you know, the 20, I think he had 24 catches last year. So to me... My thing on tight end now, I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, unless you have a Kittle, a Waller, or a Kelsey, like, I don't care about tight end that much. I really don't. Like, I want a guy that, like, if you throw it to him, he's going to catch it. He's going to make plays in the red zone. To me, if Dawson Knox is a 30 to 35 reception player, I honestly think that may, might be his ceiling. And it's not his ceiling in the sense that it's a it's a knock on him. It's just a ceiling on what is possible in this offense and like the volume that he's going to get. Do I think he could be a 50 to 60 catch guy? Yeah. In a different offense, I think he could, but in this offense, I don't think that's mathematically possible. I think 35 catches is probably the tops we're going to see out of him in this offense, which is fine. And again, if he can get four or five touchdowns in the red zone, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, and see, it's funny because I'm torn because of what Bean said in, in the season-ending presser about we need to get better at the tight end position. Now, I don't know if he was just blowing smoke because um, Bean does that sometimes, but if we didn't – if the tight end wasn't a huge part of our passing attack, unless we're considering a guy like Lee Smith who was huge key factor in blocking, right? So what are the tight ends' role in our offense? Because it wasn't catching passes last year because – they hardly ever threw to the tight ends and they used them in different ways. They use Croft differently than they used Dawson Knox. They use Lee Smith differently. I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see for sure. It, it It's also possible that they were looking at tight ends and receivers and the fact that they signed Sanders, you know, kind of led them away from tight end. Maybe had they gone out and signed like a Gerald Everett, then they wouldn't have signed an Emmanuel Sanders and they may have done something schematically in the offense this year to kind of involve the tight end more that remains to be seen, obviously, but the fact that they went out and got Sanders to replace John Brown tells me that they're going to still run a bunch of 10 personnel uh, in 2021 and obviously a ton of 11. So we're going to see a ton of, of rotating those four guys in 11 personnel sets. And I think that fourth receiver is more important. I think the fourth receiver on the bills is more important than the tight end. I mean, that's I just, that's just how my opinion, but Hey, I think Emmanuel I Sanders is more important than Dawson Knox. And that's kind of, I mean, I guess he's not Absolutely. the fourth receiver, but Gabriel Davis, the fourth receiver is yeah. more important than Dawson Knox. Absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent, a hundred percent. All right. Last guy kind of touched on him earlier. This is the big one. All right. So I have, I am very opinionated on Cody Ford. Um, I didn't like the pick, to be honest with you, um, because DK Metcalf was sitting there, but we've moved on. We've gotten other players since then at the wide receiver position, and we're good there. So, but DK are you, Metcalf, oh man, I know it still hurts. <laughs> it hurts me still. <laughs> we wouldn't have got did. We probably would never got digs though. So yeah, and we true. probably still have John Brown and still DK Metcalf, John Brown and Cole Beasley doesn't. We probably still would have got Gabe, Gabe Davis, I think. I mean, but anyways, I, I digress. Um, 
Are you on the team that he was drafted to be right tackle? Or are you right that, guard guy? I am. I was of the. I was on the team of give him a chance at tackle, and if he clearly shows he can't do it, then slide him inside. Because to me, that was a natural progression of events that you could take place and not look bad in the eyes of like whatever analysts media people looking at the team like and even for your own team building looking at yourself like yeah we're gonna draft him to play tackle if it doesn't work out we're gonna we're gonna slide him into guard now when you do that you have to be pretty damn sure that he's gonna be a good guard and we don't know that yet now I'm of the opinion when it comes to offensive line, and I've said this before on air, I don't give two shits if my starting offensive line individually, individual players are versatile. I don't care if my right tackle can't play other positions if he's a really good right tackle. I don't care if my left guard can't play other positions if he's a really good left guard. I want my reserves to have some versatility, like a Butker, like a Ryan Bates. That's that's all well and good. Give me a swing tackle as a backup, cool. But I don't like the I don't like drafting a guy necessarily just because he's versatile if he's not the best player at a position. Like, give me the best, give me the best right tackle or give me the best guard that is available if he's the best guard. If he's not the best guard, and just because he can play a little tackle, I don't, I don't care. Let right. the backups be able to do that. So Cody Ford, if this is a big year for him, because now he has to prove that he can play guard. And the Bills brought in competition. Fortis Lamp came in as a signing, and I think is going to push Cody Ford for that left guard spot. Now I'm not saying he's going to win it, but Cody Ford is going to have to have a chip on his shoulder in camp. And he's already, you know, we saw the tweet where he peeped the eyes or whatever when we signed for its lamp we're pretty sure that it's going to be fully sound at right guard the money is the money they gave him looks like it's going to be starters money at least for this year at right guard so this comes down to cody ford and fortis lamp at left guard and cody ford man you got to prove something to me this year in camp and you got to prove it on the field too when it comes to real real games because if you don't you know, if you don't pan out, you're at best a swing guard for this team, and that's not what this team drafted you to do in the second round. Now, I know not all draft picks are going to hit, but they traded up for you, albeit it right. was only two spots. But still a trade. It, the point is, he's got a lot to prove this year. Yeah, and he's coming back from injury too. Yeah. So we got to remember he was put in a position at left guard was never he never had a chance to get comfortable playing left guard because he got injured. Um and everybody talk talk smack about force lamp all you want. The dude played eleven hundred snaps last year and only gave up two sacks. That's pretty good. Yep. I think that's Started pretty good. Game. Yeah. And I know it was on the Chargers and the Chargers were kind of a dumpster fire. The offense wasn't run that great last year, but he only gave up two sacks. So I, I I'm I'm like you man. Like I don't care where you were drafted if if someone else on the team is better that's what we got to rock with. And like, to your point, I think it's, it's one thing to have flexibility, but I think that McDermott gets stuck on this. Like you said, flexibility. And I, I don't care if Cody Ford can't play any other position than left guard. If he's good at left guard, that's where I want him to play. 
And like you said, the perfect thing for the backups is to have flexibility. So if the left guard goes down, you can fill in their Ryan Bates. If the center goes down, you can fill in their Ryan Bates, or we can move Feliciano over there. Whatever it is, or you could play right guard. Whatever it is, I, I, don't, I don't like the emphasis on everybody in the media is all about, look at the flexibility on this offensive line. I don't care. I don't care. And we have to stop to and understand how hard it is to get five really good starting offensive linemen all at the same time at all, at all five positions. It's really hard. There's one or two teams every year that have really good, you know, from left tackle to right tackle all the way through that are really, really good playing at almost a pro bowl level. So we have to make sure that we also understand that before we go, we go crazy on why did we retain Ike Bakker and things like that guy. I thought Ike Bakker played pretty good when he came in last year, but. And he's the, and Bucker's a perfect, in perfect reserve interior offensive lineman the guy can play both guard positions like that's the kind of guy you want as a backup right um so i'm with you i'm with you on that all right if you guys haven't already smashed the like button i'm gonna bust out this please smash the like button wherever you're watching facebook youtube or twitter share this and also subscribe please to our channel all right i got two wild cards i'm gonna throw in there i want to see if i can throw Tilt money off here real quick. Um, so let me see. So Devin Singletary, something to, does he have something to prove this year? What's your thoughts? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at him. I mean, yeah, <laughs> gotcha. of, course, of course he does. I mean, uh, of course he does. I mean, the Bills, you know, Devin Singletary isn't, he's not blind to the fact that the Bills signed Matt Breida. He's not blind to the fact that there's a lot of chatter um about the bills taking a running back with their first draft pick and he has to be looking at that situation saying like wait a minute like okay i you know didn't have a greatest afc championship game i kind of you know didn't have didn't build upon my rookie year whether that was my fault or not like okay that's another discussion if we want to talk about the offensive line all the running backs were playing behind the same offensive line so okay um and he's one year older contract wise than uh than Zach Moss. And again, right. the Bills only invested a third round pick on him. It's not like they went out and drafted him in the first round. Um they certainly aren't afraid to cut ties with if you want to call it marquee players. I mean, they got running McCoy right before the season in, in you know in 2019. So like I don't think they're going to necessarily care too much if they feel like Devin Singletary isn't getting it done to move on. I'm not saying they're going to. I'm just saying he's got something to prove this year, and I think you're right. Like He does have something to prove. But when he when he flashes, he flashes really, really well. You know, I know, like that video you guys made of Devin Singletary um, a couple the of weeks first, back. The first man miss. Yeah, yeah, the true. first man miss video. Like that video was true. great because that, that's what you you see, and you're like, man, this guy has like a lot of skill. But you know, that's why to me, one of the most to me, I think the most fascinating camp battle is going to be running back, assuming oh, yeah. the Bills don't don't draft one. So we talk about Zach Moss being a breakout candidate. Z- S- Singletary needs to be, you know, you someone could make the argument that like Zach Moss is the one that has something to prove and Devin Singletary is the breakout candidate. You could certainly make the argument that way for it as well. I think the point is, is that the entire running back room is, has something to prove. Something to prove. 
especially because the Bills basically said with the moves they made, we are okay with the offensive line we had last year because we brought back John Feliciano and we brought back Daryl Williams. And other than signing Forrest Lamp, it's looking like the offensive line outside of what they might do in the draft is going to look pretty similar to what they envisioned it to be last year. Albeit I know there were injuries last year and these guys didn't get to, to play it together the whole, you know, for, for really any time, all five of them. But, um, the bills are showing confidence in the guys in the building. So we'll see how much better they can really get. Brita will start by week three or four. That's a hot take right there. I, I don't think the Bills – I don't think it I don't think it matters who starts at running back for the Bills. Like, no. I, don't, I think it just – I think it really, like, comes down to what does Dable want to do on the first drive, and that's the running that back that will be in the game. Yeah. Like, I, I don't – Because the Bills – I mean, the Bills threw more on first and 10 than any other team in, in, the, in the NFL, and it was when they were winning too. They were, there was games when they are up 31-7, and they start drives by throwing the ball because that's just what they do. So, and it's going to be interesting because I, I preached all season to activate TJ Yeldon. I just wanted an, a third option. I didn't think that TJ Yeldon was going to bring this dynamic thing to the offense that the other two guys didn't, but I just wanted something different. He's, he's a big body guy. He's quick. He's got great hands. And as far as catching passes out of the backfield, I just, it's going to be interesting bringing in Matt Breida. Cause I really like Matt Breida. And he bring he brings that breakaway speed that neither Zach Moss or Devin Singletary have. I think Devin Singletary, he does make men miss, but he I don't think he'll ever be that breakaway guy. He'll be that he'll get the nice runs that are 15, 20 chunk plays that are nice, but he's not going to break one from the 20 to and take it to the house. I mean, we saw it against Denver when he struggled to get in the I I shouldn't say he struggled, but he had to he had to weave or down the end of the field to get into the end zone. But I just hope that they run with three, you know, three running backs. And I know that takes away probably an, you know, a defensive lineman or maybe somebody in the secondary to be active on game day. But I think it it's something that this offense would just help take to the next level. And you have three different guys that can do, they can all do three different things. So that's, that's my opinion on that. All right. I got one more for you. And that is going to be, Levi Wallace. Mm-hmm. I'll let you I'll let you tell me about this because I have everybody knows if you guys all our regulars are watching the, the, the show, I have opinions on Levi Wallace. So I'll let you uh I'll let you go first. Does Levi Wallace have something to prove this year? I I'm gonna say no just because I think he's already proven what he is. I don't think there's any more ceiling for him to get to at this point. I think what he's going to try, he's basically in the same situation he was in last year as of now, again, without draft picks yet. He's going in, he's going to battle against Dane Jackson this year. The difference being is like when we signed Josh Norman last year, at least from what I saw online is Josh Norman was kind of the presumptive CB2, right? And people were somewhat dismissing Levi Wallace. Whereas this year, Outside again of what we do in the draft, he, it's going to probably be a little bit more of a level playing field when it comes to the competition. And it, I don't think we're going to necessarily pencil either guy in right away like we might have done with Josh Norman last year, probably um, incorrectly, honestly, because I did think actually Levi Wallace overall over the 
body of work for the season probably did play better than Josh Norman last year. He didn't didn't start out too well, but he did play a little bit better as the season went on. And so does he have something to prove? I would say no, just because he's I think he is what he is. And I think really what it comes down to is can he hold off a guy that has still some unknown um, ability, like we don't know exactly what he is in Dane Jackson. Can Levi Wallace hold him off in a competition outside of high draft capital being used on a corner? So I will say the answer to your question as of now, no. If the Bills draft a corner high, then I don't necessarily think he still has something to prove, but he's going to have to try to then battle it out for that um, third cornerback spot. Like that third, they be the first guy off the bench type of guy. I I agreed with the first. Well, I agreed with most of it actually. Um, in to not kind of steal your thunder, but I think we've seen this. Like to your point, the ceiling for Levi Wallace and our, my guy A. Rich always talks about the fact that if the floor for your CB two position is Levi Wallace at his ceiling, which a lot of us think he this is he's not going to get much better. That's okay if that's your floor. If your floor is having Levi Wallace and you can't end up either in the draft or whatever's left after the draft in free agency, bring somebody in to compete, then you also have Dane Jackson who's sitting right there who the team absolutely loves. And I think that they feel like they got something special that they didn't really expect with Dane Jackson. I'm not saying, I mean, he's a seventh round pick, so I'm not saying they didn't think he was going to come in and be a guy that could compete for CB2 at some point. I just think that they're pleasantly surprised at how, how good he actually is and how he's progressed because I liked him. I liked Dane Jackson a lot last year and in the flashes that we saw him, I think he's one of the best tackling DBs that we have. He's quick to the ball. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do at 30. If they stay there, if they trade, if they trade back in the second, whatever they do at 30, I think they're going CB at, at 30. That to me, that's the position that you get the, I, I think besides running back, I think at for this team, for the bills, I think that if you take a CB at 30, that's the immediate, the, the biggest impact position right now for this team. I mean, what's your okay. thoughts? Is there, is there another position that you think if, if so say we draft Asante Samuel Jr. And he is what he is as good as advertised and comes in here. He can make an immediate impact on this defense, right? To where if we draft a defensive end, we got to throw him in with the rotation and we got to figure out if McDermott's going to give him snaps and things like that. Cause like, think back to like Tredavious white, he had to play. He, I mean, he absolutely had to play. So if this guy comes in and blows the doors off a of camp, then you fall back and you, your backups are Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. So that's just, that's just my opinion. I didn't want to get too into the draft because I didn't really want to talk about the draft all that much. But. No, but I agree. I mean, one of the things that I really like the idea of is getting a stud cornerback opposite of Trey white on a rookie contract while you're paying Trey white big dollars, especially in this window, the bills are in. And I've made, I've made this public on Twitter. I've said, this is that you need to be able to stop Kansas city at the end of the day. You need to be able to stop. Um, you need to be able to stop some of these other high powered offenses in the conference, whether that ends up being the chargers or the Browns or the Raven, like you need a stud cornerback opposite a Trey that you can pay on a rookie deal and kind of give yourself that little window where you're ha- where you have two really good corners, but you're only paying one of them big dollars. 
Right. And to me, that makes a lot of sense to do that. I look at it like one year removed and you go back to 20, you know, 2020 and you say, well, we had Trey, we had what we thought was going to be in maybe a, a career resurrection with Josh Norman that didn't pan out. You had Levi Wallace and then you had an unknown commodity in, in a seventh rounder in Dane Jackson. Fast forward to 2021. I really like the sound of Trey White, high draft pick corner, Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace as my four boundary corners. That to me sounds really appealing, especially now that Levi Wallace has another year playing time and Dane Jackson got some experience last year. That to me sounds like a really solid group of corners and I could definitely get on board with that. So like, I really like the idea of CB at um, 30. And it's funny because we've talked about like the defensive line. We've talked about running back. We talked about CB like wide receivers, like, you could you could make a case for and against like almost every position to oh, be yeah. picked at thirty, other than quarterback. Like you could make the case that like oh pick a CB. You can make the case edge, but you could also make a case well no we already have Epinesa. We got Addison back. Hughes is still there. You can make a case for receiver even like Sanders oh, yeah. is only here on a one year deal. Beasley's gone after twenty twenty two. We need you know we need to get another we need to get a slot guy who can learn under Beasley. CB to me is the one that's like if you look at that position and you're like. They really only have, you know, they really only have uh, Trey, Dane Jackson, and three by Wallace outside yeah. of like Cam Lewis and like practice squad guy. Like, yeah, it's it's glaring. Like, it is a glaring need, and it could potentially be a perfect blend of need meets value when it comes to pick thirty. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I said on Twitter today, my heart, my heart wants Asante Samuel just because he's like one of my favorite players in the class, even though he maybe isn't the best corner rated wise in the class. That's where my heart keeps leading me, man. So. We'll yeah. I, th- I think too, with this draft, I think it's, I think things are going to get stirred up because of how the mocks are coming out. It's like, it's pretty consistent. Once you get the first round, the, the big guys are gone, but I think there's going to be some things that are going to happen that, I think there's going to be like three or four of the guys that we corners I'm talking about that we would have thought were gone and we're going to have a, like a nice, you know, we're looking at a nice selection to pick from instead of saying, well, I hope that Asante Samuel or uh, Asante Samuel Jr. falls, or I hope that um, Caleb Farley falls or, or somebody like that. I, I think that we're going to be able to pick and like, and I was talking about this with, with Akeem the other day, like how many teams in the NFL have two shutdown corners? It's few and far between. So we're at a point with, and it's just another, you know, testament to Brandon Bean. We're at a point where if we can add a starting caliber corner from the draft, I mean, it's, it's insane that we have no glaring holes. Like everybody's been mentioning, we have no glaring holes. So it's best player available, but if we can have, the receiving core that we have, we have all all five starters at offensive line, and we can have arguably, if we can get one of these corners, we'll have arguably one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Like this team's going to be a tough out next year. I'm sorry, but it just I is. Mean, you get a you stud, know? you get a stud corner at 30. Your secondary is Hyde and Poyer, Trey White, stud corner at 30, and Teron Johnson as your nickel. I mean, you're looking really good in that secondary. I mean, and then. I, I know Daniel mentioned like doubt the bills go corner at 30 because McD can find a good CB two later, but like, isn't now the time to strike? Like if you get a stud and then let him coach him up on top of that. Yeah. Right. 
if he's so good of a coach and coach CBs, get the guy with all the talent and then coach him up on top of that. And you've got someone who can be elite to pair next to Trey White. And guess what? They did pick Trey White in their very first draft in the first round. So like the fact that we say that they can pick corners late and develop them, that's great. Like Levi Wallace is a is an example. He was a UDFA, Dane Jackson, but like they also have picked a corner in the first round yeah. in this regime. So I mean, it's a it's fascinating discussion. I'm not saying Daniel's wrong by any means. I'm just saying like sure. I I really think now is the time to strike on a guy like that. Um wait like in the first like early i think it's i think it's a good time i agree 100 percent. like like you said why wait we're not always i think sometimes we get too wrapped up in some of these late round picks that have worked out like the matt milano fifth round like oh my god look at what we did here we it's not always going to happen so why wouldn't you just go after the guy that you know is a is a top yeah yeah is is why don't you go after a guy that you know is pretty much the closest thing to a sure thing that you can in the draft and have that and just lock that down now. So yeah, because what if you do and you go and you pick like a, a Jason Owa and he busts, like you're going to sit there and look at like, man, we could have had like Greg Newsome or somebody like, and you, you, if yeah. we do that, I, I will, I will scream. If we take Jason Noah and Greg Newsom sitting there. I think Jace, I think uh, Newsom is the second best corner in this class. Honestly, I think I, I, I watched Actually, I watched it because we're putting some stuff out on IG for him tomorrow. I watched a ton of film on him this morning. I was like, oh my, man, he's, he's quick to the ball. His recovery skills are, are nice. He's really good. He just doesn't have necessarily the, uh, the interception numbers, but man, I mean, I was looking at the SIS book and it was, um, when I did my rankings on him, he he had the fewest yards allowed per game of any cornerback in the draft. Now I know like there's like that's skewed a little bit because the Big Ten maybe doesn't throw as much as like some of these other conferences, but yeah. I mean, dude allowed eleven point nine yards a game <laughs> in twenty twenty. I'm telling you, his recovery time it, it's I think he's the second best corner. But that's just that's just me. Um, everybody's corners they rank. Everybody loves one guy over another guy. This guy's fast. This guy's long. What do you got? So, Dan, well, Daniel says I don't think you should use your top draft pick on a CB two. But so then, what do you use it on? Do you use it on an edge player that may not play right away? Do you? I mean, there's no guarantee that an edge guy is going to play right away. There's no. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you can make. Like I said, you can make a case for and against all these positions. Like if they went edge, if they went Quiddy Pay or Jalen Phillips. I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to be upset about it. Like I'm just, um, you know, I'm just kind of leaning towards corner. That's kind of what I want. Yeah. And I think too, this is a weird draft because I think the first four picks, well, the first three, I think for sure are going to be QB. And then Atlanta is going to be the wild card in this whole thing. Is someone going to call them and offer the farm for the number four pick so they can take Kyle Pitts or whatever the heck they want to do. If they, if they want a quarterback, if there's another team that wants a quarterback, um, but how, how often late in the first round where there's defense or there's defensive end slash edge rushers taken that make immediate impacts that in the past, how many drafts? I mean, mm-hmm. Vernon Butler was 30th overall. I mean, it's, I mean, this is the type of stuff we're talking about. It's 30. If you can get one of the best cornerbacks in college football at 30, I don't see why you wouldn't do that. And then you don't have to. I don't know. I, I just feel like I, McDermott. McDermott loves corners, and he loves 
being able to coach him up. And if you can get a guy that is a first team all American in the first round, he's just sitting there. Or if you have a pick of three of them that are just laying there for you and you could just be like, I'll take that one mm-hmm. and put him in my system. Cause he fits perfectly. Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you take a defensive end when you just drafted one? Like you said last year and he hardly played last year and you still have Addison under contract. You got Jerry Hughes this year. I, I, I don't know. We could go on and on probably all night about, about who we should take at 30. So, all right, that's going to just about do it. We've been an hour and a half, Dave. This has been fun. Um, what do you guys, what do you guys got going on over at the, the air raid hour for the you know next couple of weeks leading up to the draft? Yeah. So Monday, um, I'm not exactly sure what we're doing a Monday show yet, but then the last couple shows and probably what we're going to be doing leading up to the draft, we're going to round out whatever position groups we haven't covered yet. We've already covered, uh, our last show we did safeties, we've done interior offensive line, we've done interior defensive line, we've done corner, we've done edge. Um, so maybe we even maybe we'll dabble in the wide receiver next, uh, actually. And then so that's gonna lead up to the draft. Obviously, the draft's sneaking up on us, man. It's only uh what 12 days away now at yep. this point. Um and uh and then then Fanatics is gonna have live uh coverage all throughout all three days of the draft. So judge uh, Steve and I will be on with Rico on Thursday night. Uh, I'll be on on Friday with Rico again. And then uh, Saturday I'll also be on. So during the draft live coverage, um, we'll have you covered um, throughout. So it's going to be, it's going to be a marathon, man. I've never done something like that before (laughs) Uh, with the new baby. It's going to be with the new baby. It's going to be, I'm sure my, I'm going to get on my wife's last nerves, but uh I mean, it's just fun. I mean, I've been putting so much work into kind of researching for the draft that, um, you know, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And what a nice position to be in now if you're the Bills where you're not, you know. Yeah, it's exciting to pick the fifth pick overall or whatever, yeah. but you don't want to pick. The, you don't right. want to be that team that's that and bad. Like, when so, have we picked 30th? I, I mean, I mean, we haven't picked this 27th low. 27th because we traded back to get to back to 27. I mean, you since the I mean? Super Bowl, since like if you go based on where we finished the season, this is the lowest we've picked since the Super Bowl teams. So I mean, it's insane. It, it's it's wild. It's really it's wild. A, it's a good problem to have. And I, I'm going to preface this too. We're going to do some draft stuff. We're trying to figure out exactly who we're going to have on. But myself and Akeem will be here. We're going to have a couple of our guys on. Um, I probably won't be on all day Thursday, Friday, and Saturday just because I have other things I can't, I can't sit. I don't know how you guys do it with the marathon stuff. I just can't, I can't do it. Um, but we're going to have, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I've never done it. It may not work, but we're going to try. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to have some draft coverage, um, as well. Um, and Dave, this was fun. I, I really appreciate you spending an hour and a half of your Saturday, even though you didn't really have to, but you did anyways, because you're an awesome dude. Um, and yeah, check out fanatics. Um, Follow Dave on Twitter. Um, he's been putting out a bunch of his mock drafts, and it's good stuff. It's really insightful stuff. Um, for Mr. Tilt Money and for me, I'm DM3. This is Built in Buffalo, and I will see all of you guys next week.